Well, before we turn to God's word, let's come to him in prayer, shall we, and ask his help tonight. Our Father, we do thank you for those very words we've sung. Thank you for giving us your Son, our King and our Redeemer. And thank you for giving us your Spirit till the work on earth is done. And we pray for the Holy Spirit's help even now as we open the Bible and study it today. Bring glory to your own name, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' sake. Amen. Okay, we're looking tonight at the book of Exodus, chapter 31. Exodus and chapter 31 in the Old Testament. Genesis, Exodus. Exodus, of course, is the story of the children of Israel coming out of Egypt. And uh, if you think about it, the, the name Exodus is similar to the word exit. And that's what it's about. How they travelled to the promised land. And on their journey, the Lord led them, gave them his law. And among other things, he gave them his tabernacle as well. Exodus chapter 31. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship, to design artistic works. To work in gold, in silver, in bronze, in cutting jewels for setting and carving wood, and to work in all manner of workmanship. And I, indeed I, have appointed with him Aholiab, the son of Ahissamach of the tribe of Dan. And I have put wisdom in the hearts of all the gifted artisans, that they may make all that I have commanded you. The tabernacle of meeting, the ark of the testimony, and the mercy seat that is on it, and all the furniture of the tabernacle. The table and its utensils, the pure gold lampstand with all its utensils, the altar of incense, the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils, and the lavers, sorry, the laver and its base. The garments of ministry, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments of his sons to minister as priests. And the anointing oil and sweet incense for the holy place, according to all that I have commanded you, they shall do. I love reading missionary stories and one of the books I read a couple of years ago was the story of a man by the name of Alexander Mackay. And Alexander Mackay was a a Scotsman, as you could probably guess by the name like that, who went to Uganda. And when Alexander Mackay went to Uganda, he was going to be self-sufficient and he also had a vision of reaching the people on the middle of the island, on on the island of uh, Lake Victoria as we call it now. And one of the first things he did when he got into Uganda was a very very unnormal thing for a missionary to do. Do you know what he did? He set up a blacksmith's forge. That was the first thing he did. 
and he started making metal things. He started helping the locals. This is how he was starting to get to know them and repairing things for them, building contacts uh, through this. And uh, also rebuilding a steamer, an old-fashioned steamer, to get across to the island so he could take the gospel there. It's a truly remarkable story. But you know what? When he got there, when he started this blacksmith's forge, all the local men came around to see what on earth he was doing. Because you see, in the tribes that he went to, the men didn't do no work. It was the ladies who did the work. And it was revolutionary. What are you doing? Why are you doing this? And he taught them by example and by word that the Bible calls men to work. And he also showed them, of course, that God has his workers who work for him on his mission field or in his avenues of service that he calls them into. And this is what I want us to look at in particular tonight here in Exodus chapter 31 as we look at the subject of God's workmen. And we're going to see tonight two special workmen who God called into his service, Bezalel and a man called Aholiab. And these were workmen who were going to build the tabernacle, which was going to be the tent temple, if I can call it that, that the children of Israel were going to uh, worship at in their journey to the promised land, as we will talk about a little bit later on when we get down to verse 7. But they were workmen especially called and equipped by God. And you know what, dear friends, we also are called to be God's workmen. The Lord says to pastors in 2 Timothy 2.15 that we're to study as workmen approved of God. Rightly dividing the scriptures, we're to, to go to the scriptures like workmen. And every Christian is to work, whether it's their uh, job or their particular calling from the Lord in, in an avenue of service to do it. As God's workman, Colossians 3 verse 24 says, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. And you may think, well, that's, that's fine, I can accept that because that's just going to be on, heaven, on earth. But when we get to heaven, we're going to put our feet up and it's going to be one long holiday, brother. Well, I've got news for you. Revelation chapter 7 tells us they serve him day and night in heaven. And God wants his people to be working and serving him. You know, this is a very important part of the Christian life. There's a a lady by the name of Kate Booth, who was the daughter of William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army. And uh, the Salvation Army lassies were uh, preachers in their own right. Now, I don't agree with women preachers, but this lady was a very fiery preacher, and she won many souls to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, But on one occasion, she was traveling uh, on a train, and a man was in the same carriage as her, who had been to one of her meetings. And uh, he started talking with her about her work and so on. And then as if to say, you know, I'm doing my bit too. Do you know what he said to her? He said, I also go to church. (laughs) And she said to him, is that all you do? Is that all you do? Because you see, God doesn't just want us to go to church. He wants us to be his workmen and workwomen serving him. The poet said it best. You will surely find at the journey's end, whatever the world may afford, that things fade away and success is seen in the life that serves the Lord. We want to be those who serve the Lord and are God's workmen 
as well. So I want us to see this passage today under four things and see the four different parts uh, about these workmen called of God. I want you to see they were called personally in verse 2. They were filled powerfully in verses 3 to 5. They were supported practically in verse 6. And they were tasked particularly in verses 7 to 11. First of all, they were called personally. They were personally called by God. Verse 2 Uh, Well, let's start with verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying... That's also inspired, and it means uh, that this is the word of God, not just the word of Moses. And he said, See, I have called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. Many years ago, there was a, a preacher by the name of Billy Sunday, and he was a converted baseball player. Can you imagine what it would be like today if uh, David Beckham had been converted and become a preacher of the gospel? Well, that's what it was like when Billy Sunday, in the time of the Great Depression in America, became a Christian. And he started working alongside an evangelist by the name of Wilbur Chapman. And when Wilbur wasn't well or wasn't able to take the meeting because he had something else to attend to, he left Billy Sunday, who was normally the man who was giving out the hymn sheets and putting up the canvas tent and everything and putting the chairs out. He said, it's your turn to preach, Billy. And Billy got up And it was very clear that God's gifting was to Billy as to be able to preach the gospel. And you know what? He started winning more souls than Wilbur Chapman. And to his credit, Wilbur Chapman said, I think we need to do something about this. And when he came to retire, he agreed to hand over the ministry to Billy Sunday uh, to take over. But part of the requirements that were needed for this, for acceptance among the Christians, was that Billy Sunday actually be ordained. And so he had to go through an ordination committee where he was asked all sorts of questions. He was asked questions about St. Augustine, to which he said, I don't know which team he played for, (laughs) and things like this. I mean, this man had been a converted alcoholic who was a, a baseball player. He had no formal education, really. But he knew how to preach the gospel and win souls. And after a while of of hopelessly answering questions in the ordination ceremony, one of the the men, a man by the name of Dr. Hendrick Johnson, uh, said, Mr. Moderator, I move this needless examination stop. What difference does it make if, if he knows about Alexander, Savonarola and Cleopatra? God has used Billy to win more souls to Christ than all of us combined. He must have ordained Billy long before we ever thought of it. I move he be admitted to the presbytery and we give him the right hand of fellowship. And so, without any further ado, they saw the sense of that and they did. You see, they recognised in the end that that man was called of God to serve him in that area of the work. And you know what? This is what was true of Bezalel as well. He was a man who was called by God to serve him. And this is what the Lord told Moses. See, and God was saying to Moses, now look, I want you to take notice of this. See, I have called by name Bezalel. And you'll notice the words, I have, come about four or five times through this passage. God is laying down his authority here, even over his servant Moses, who was the lawgiver. And he said, I have, I have. And he said to him, I have called by name 
Bezalel. And he said, I've called him personally to do the work of building the tabernacle. And uh, it's an amazing thing because Moses was in charge of, of many things in the, temp- in, the, in the service of God, of the children of Israel. And he came down the mountain with the Ten Commandments and the plans for building the tabernacle. But before he had a chance to appoint anybody to the task, God said to him, now I have appointed the man to do the building. And his name is Bezalel. And from this we see that God had called him. In fact, I believe his calling went back even into the days of his father because his father's name, Uri, means enlightened. Enlightened. The name Bezalel means something like in the shadow of the Almighty, which is a beautiful name. That was where he was going to work in the tabernacle. And uh, Uri it was enlightened. And that's what this man was going to be too, the son of Hur. That's not the Hur who held up the arms of Moses, by the way. It's two men by the same name. But we see um, the genealogy of uh, Bezalel in the book of 1 Chronicles and chapter 2 verses 19 to 20. He's a descendant actually of Caleb. But we see his calling was there from God way back. Now dear friends, I want to say this to you tonight. You also have been called personally by God to serve him. You also have been called personally by God to serve him. Every Christian is called to be a servant of God. That's not just a general thing to everybody. That's also a personal thing to you. And I want you to think about that. What a privilege that is to be a servant of God. You know, there's things that we can do on earth that the angels can't do. Evangelism is one of them. (laughs) They would love to come and preach the gospel and one day they will. But at the moment they're held back. And that job is given to us. But other things too that we can do, that God has given to us as his children to do. And you have a calling from God to serve him if you are saved. You're not saved to sit, you're saved to serve. You're not saved to sit in church, you're saved to serve him in his work. What a, what a privilege that is to be a servant of the Most High God. What a privilege. What a responsibility. Do you know one day God is going to ask you how you got on with your service? Read the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. All those talents and gifts he's put into your hands, he's going to demand a response. How have you done with what I've given you? And if you say, well, I've only got a little bit of a talent, I've just hidden it away. Read what happened to the man with the one talent who did that. It's a very frightening thing. We're called to serve the Lord with our gifts. And we have a responsibility in that. And what an opportunity as well. You know, because service, we read in the Bible, brings forth rewards. And God is so generous. You know, he doesn't owe us anything. But he's so generous, he will reward us for our faithful service to him. And you will have in heaven rewards for what you have done for the Lord Jesus Christ when you're saved. So think about it. Are you laying up treasure in heaven by serving him on earth? You can do. It's an opportunity not to be missed. I do hope that you will hear the call of God. Maybe God is laying his finger on your life at this time. You know, that's what he did with a lady by the name of Iris Scudder. 
Ira Scudder had parents uh, in India who were missionaries. And uh, she didn't want to be a missionary. She saw how hard it was. And uh, she said, no thanks, it's not for me. I'm going back to the mainland and uh, I'm going to live a nice, comfortable life. And she went back and uh, she went to university and started studying and she was going to get a job and paid a nice lot of money and live a nice comfortable life. She was a Christian, but that life of sacrifice, that wasn't for her. But one time she came home to visit her parents, there was a knock on the door. And it was a Hindu man, a young man, who was asking, please, can your wife come and see my wife She is in labour and something is going wrong. And the missionary's wife was ill. So she couldn't go. Ira's mother was ill. She couldn't go. And uh, her husband couldn't go because it would be unacceptable in that culture for the man to go near another man's wife. And Ira herself was untrained. So they had to say to that man, I'm sorry, there's nobody here who can help you. Do you know that happened another two times in the same evening? Three men knocked on the door asking for help. And as they went to bed that night, all Ira could think of was those mothers who were probably going to die that night in childbirth because there was no one to help them. And she lay awake and she prayed and she prayed. And in the morning she heard an awful sound. The sound of tom-toms. The sound of death. And she said, Lord, if I had been trained, I could have helped those women and shared Christ with them. And she said, I see you're calling me. She went home, got her medical training, went back to India and founded uh, a work which not only helped individuals but also trained others to do that same work. Spread the gospel through medical missionary work. Maybe God, through some circumstances, is laying his finger on your life at this time, saying, I want you to serve me. If so, heed that call. It's so important. Secondly, I want you to see that these servants of God were filled powerfully. And we see that in verse 3. Because the living God says, And I have filled him with the Spirit of God, in wisdom, in understanding, in knowledge, And in all manner of workmanship. You know the wonderful thing about serving the Lord is. We don't have to do it in our own power and ability. And in fact that's the worst thing we can do. We have to do it in the power and ability which he gives. And those God appoints he also anoints. And that's what we see here. The Lord says to Bezalel I have filled him with the spirit of God. Can I put it to be honest with you like this? He was a charismatic. In the right meaning of the word. He was an Old Testament charismatic. He was filled with the spirit of God. And gifted by God therefore. To do the work that he wanted him to do. And the spirit of God which normally came on the kings. And normally came on the priests. And normally came on the prophets. Also came on this man. So that he could help build the tabernacle. And it showed itself in such a dramatic way. It says, I have filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom. Now what is wisdom? The word wisdom in Hebrew is the word chokmah. And it means skill. 
means skilled. You know, it's interesting, it's used in Psalm 107 of the sailors out in the sea. And when it talks about them being in distress and not having the skill how to get to land in a time of safety, a time of danger, it's the word wisdom, it's the word hokna. They didn't have the, the, tra- the skill, the inbuilt ability to do it. But when the Spirit of God came on Bezalel, God gave him the wisdom. He gave him the know-how. Do you know what? I could do a lot more jobs if I just knew how. I could do a lot more preaching. I could preach a lot of passages in the Bible if I just knew how. (laughs) It's that wisdom we need. But when the Spirit of God comes, he gives the wisdom how to do it. In understanding. Now, what is understanding? Understanding is being able to receive what somebody else is telling you. And that's a gift also, isn't it? You know, to be able to understand when somebody else is training or teaching you or passing on knowledge. God gave him the spirit to be able to receive it and rightly discern what was being taught. God gave him the fullness of the spirit in knowledge. In knowledge. And uh, having that innate knowledge to be able to know, I know the best way to do that. And in all manner of workmanship. Now, this is where it gets practical. He knew how to get the tools to do what he could see in his head. And you know, we've got some workmen in this church who know how to do that too. We praise God for them. But this man knew how to get the saw and the hammer to cut the right way and to uh, make things the right way. And God filled him so he had the power of God for all manner of workmanship. And we're going to see in verse 4 that there was all manner of work to be done. He says to design artistic works. I'm going to show you some pictures of the tabernacle later and you'll see how artistry was needed. Now Moses was trained in all the wisdom of Egypt. We read that in Acts chapter 7. But he wasn't given this gifting. He wasn't given this gifting. How to do a design in artistic works that please God. To work in gold, in silver, in bronze. Isn't that amazing? That metallurgy, metallurgy is that the word? Uh, uh, from uh, from uh, in, in the desert. And by the way, the, the desert around um, uh, the Sinai is full of copper and metals. And this is absolutely uh, consistent with the scriptures. In cutting jewels for setting. You know, the high priest had a, uh, a breastplate that had 12 jewels on and onk stones on the shoulders. And th- they needed to know how to cut. Do you know how to cut a diamond? Do you know how to cut an emerald or a sapphire? This, these men have been trained. Remember, these men were slaves before. The only thing they knew how to make before were bricks for Pharaoh. But God put all this wisdom and power in their hands and in their hearts by the power of the Spirit. In carving wood and to work in all manner of workmanship. So the Lord filled him powerfully with the ability to do it. And I want to say, dear friends, do you know the power of the Holy Spirit in your life? Are you praying, God, fill me with the Holy Spirit? I hope you are. We need the fruits of the Spirit to show in our lives but we need his power for acts of service as well. Do you know the purpose of the Spirit? The purpose of the Spirit is that we may serve God. And uh, all of us are either self-filled or we're Spirit-filled. Oh, that God would help us to be a church that's filled powerfully to do 
his work, whether it's, it's helping in the Sunday school, helping in the kitchen, helping in the DIY, whatever it is, that God would fill us with the Spirit of God for the tasks he's given us to do. And then thirdly, we see that they were supported practically in verse 6. Because God says this beautiful phrase, and I indeed I. Notice the authority and the emphasis he lays on that. I indeed I have appointed with him Aholiab, son of Ahissamach, of the tribe of Dan. And I have put wisdom in the hearts of all the gifted artisans that they may make all that I have commanded you. God gave Bezalel this work to do, but he didn't give it to him to do on his own. He gave him others to help him with it. Because no one man is able to do all the work of God. I'm sure you agree. And so the Lord gave him uh, a second man to help him, a holy app. And Aholiab was from the tribe of Dan. Now that's very interesting because, you know what, when Solomon built the temple, he was given a man from the tribe of Naphtali and Dan. His parents were from one of each tribe who did the same thing for building the temple. You can read about that in the book of Kings. And here we have Bezalel, who's from the tribe of Judah, they were the first tribe to march out. And Aholiab, who's from the tribe of Dan, they were the last tribe to march out. And the first and the last were going to serve God together. Not only that, but you have the whole of Israel represented in those men. Because one was from the, uh, the line of Jacob through Leah. And the other was from the line of Jacob through Rachel. I can't remember which way around it is. But you see God's perfection and wisdom in appointing workers to go alongside Bezalel in this work. And he wanted him to have others to help. And not only was Aholiab, who was probably going to handle the more material side of things rather than the, uh, the specialist things like the, uh, the jewellery and that, but he also appointed other artisans, other gifted workers in the temple to help build the, the things for the tabernacle. He says in the second part of verse 6, I have put wisdom in the hearts of all the gifted artisans that they may make all that I have commanded you. So he had an army of people to work with him under his leadership so that the tabernacle could be built. It was too much for one man to get done, even probably in the 40 years they were wandering in the wilderness. And by the time they got to the promised land, (laughs) the tabernacle was going to be shortly lived anyway before they got the temple. So God gave them an army to work with them. And you know what, this tells me that in the church of Jesus Christ, God has given us multiple gifts to work together. Read 1 Corinthians 12 when you get home. And you'll read it's not just pastors who are gifted in the church. But every single Christian is a gifted child of God to serve him in his place of worship. He really is. She really is. And each one of us has to be to, uh, working together to get the job done. None of us have got it together, but together we have got it. We need those gifts combined. 
And uh, there's a lovely illustration I remember hearing some time ago of how all these gifts work together. And just some of them are put together in this little illustration of a person who was carrying a tray of food at a dinner party. And as they carried the tray of food into the, to the, the guests who were sat at the table, uh, they somehow managed to drop the tray and the food went all over the floor. At that point, the person with the gift of mercy, which is one of the gifts in Romans chapter 12, came to comfort the person who was upset. The person with the gift of helps ran to the kitchen to grab a cloth and a tea towel to start wiping up everything. The person with the gift of giving realized that clothes had been stained and a carpet that was expensive was ruined. And he said, now don't worry, I'm going to pay for this. That's the gift of giving. If you've got that gift, I love you. Okay. And uh, there was someone with the gift of leadership there. And they said, okay, all, everybody stand back, children stand back so you don't cut yourself on the broken glass. There was someone with the gift of discernment and said, you know what, I think there's something wrong with that tray and you better not use that tray again because the handle on that tray is dodgy and that's why it happened. And there was a person with the gift of prophecy who very helpfully said, I could have told you that was going to happen. <laughs> but, you know, in reality, all the gifts were coming together. You see how that and that's what it's meant to be like in the church of Jesus Christ. All of us serving together to get the job done. Have you ever tried to build a jigsaw and found one or two pieces missing at the end? Isn't it frustrating? Well, that's what it's like when you have one or two Christians in a church who said, well, that's for others, that's not for me. Let me tell you something. You are a gifted person and your place is in the church. You are not called to just come to church. You are called to be the church. And there is a difference. Being the church means rolling up your sleeves and serving the living God. Are you a Sunday morning or a Sunday evening bench warmer? Or are you a workman for God? I pray to God each one of us will recognise the call and the gifts that he has given us to serve him. And then finally we see these workmen were tasked particularly and by that I mean in verse 7 to 11, they each one had an individual, they, uh, he had, Bezalel had a, a particular task given him to do. And in verses 7 through to 11, we have the design of the tabernacle. And God says that these are the things that he has commanded Bezalel to make. Now I want to emphasize this, dear friends. Bezalel was called to build the tabernacle. He wasn't called to be a soldier like Joshua. He wasn't called to be a priest like Eliezer or Aaron. He was called to be a workman. He had something particular for him to do. And I want you to know, dear friends, you also have something particular that God has called you to do. You know, Ephesians 2 verse 10 tells us that we are God's workmanship made to do the good works which he has prepared in advance for us to do. There are general works we can all do, but there's particular things that God has given us to do. I was very struck by this in Mark 13 when we were looking at that recently. And uh, it said that at the end, the little parable of the, of the master of the house. It is like a man going to a far country who left his house and gave authority to his servants and to each his work. And commanded the doorkeeper to keep watch. Did you notice that? To each his work. He's given you 
our work. Well, this is what he did for Bezalel. What did he call him to make? Well, in verse, uh, he called him to make the tabernacle. And for the sake of uh, the young people especially, perhaps they've never seen the tabernacle. This is the tabernacle. It was a tent temple, as I say, uh, that the children of Israel carried through their journey through 40 years through the wilderness to the promised land. And this was the tabernacle proper. It was a tent And they didn't go in there like we come into church. They worshipped from the outside and God's presence dwelt in there. The people who were allowed inside there were the priests. And inside the tabernacle, uh, there were two compartments. And the first compartment had certain pieces of furniture in it, which I'll talk about. And the second part was behind a veil. And that's where there was the Ark of the Covenant, which God himself was supposed to sit on. It was like his throne. And it was on the floor in front of the tabernacle and on the mercy seat on top that they offered the blood of the sacrifice. So you see, this was a a very holy thing that they were to build. Now in verses 7 to 11, we see the things they were to build. Verse 7, the tabernacle of meeting, the ark of the testimony and the mercy seat that is on it and all the furniture of the tabernacle. So there's the ark of the covenant. Okay, and uh, Indiana Jones, he found if it was the real one, which I don't think it was, uh, the work of Bezalel. By the way, I've got an interesting thing for you. Do you know one day you're going to see the Ark of the Covenant? You're going to see the Ark of the Covenant. Somebody's going to say, oh, I know, it's hidden under the, under the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. And somebody else is going to say, oh, no, it's over in Ethiopia. Somebody else is going to say, oh, no, it's down in Africa. Somebody else is going to say, ah, no, those Freemasons, they smuggled it away up to Scotland. Let me tell you something. Jeremiah chapter 3 tells us that they made copies of the Ark of the Covenant. And that's probably what all those groups think they have got, thinking they've got the real one. The real one, if you want to know where it is, read the end of Revelation chapter 11. It's in heaven. And when the Lord Jesus comes back, that's going to be his throne he's going to sit on when he comes back. Uh, So we're going to see that one day. But the top is the mercy seat where the sacrifices were offered, called the, the, uh, where the blood was offered, sorry, called the propitiation, and uh, the two wings, of the, the winged cherub on top. Beautiful. Bezalel made that. Can you imagine the skill to be able to make that? Arcasia wood covered in gold. And then in verse 8, we're told he was to make the table and its utensils, the pure gold lampstand with all its utensils, and the altar of incense. Now I forgot to put the table on here. Uh, but the table of the showbread. And then you have the lampstand. Now look at that lampstand. A uh, huge gold lampstand called the menorah by the Jewish people. Now if, if you ever go to Jerusalem you'll see one of those. Um, that's on display there. That's made by the Temple Institute in Jerusalem. Do you know the one in the book of Exodus. Was made out of one single piece of metal. And it wasn't cut, and it wasn't soldered, it was hammered. You think about that. It was hammered. You may not believe that's possible, but I've spoken to workmen from uh, like Poland and Russia, where, the, where in the olden days they didn't have many tools, and all they had in their toolbox was an axe. These one side for cutting, the other side for hitting, and they did everything with an axe. And that was the skill that Bezalel had to hammer that out of gold. God put that in his heart. 
And uh, then you have the altar of incense, which is where the incense was offered uh, with the prayers of the people of God. Then in verse 9, it says the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils and, and the laver and its base. So there you have the, uh, the bronze altar, which was outside the tabernacle. And uh, this was where the sacrifices were offered uh, to God, the lambs and the bulls and so on. I haven't got the uh, laver, but in, in verse 10, uh, it was told the garments of ministry, the holy garments for Aaron, the priest, and the garments of his sons to minister as priests. And the priest had the most amazing garments. These are the, called the garments of glory. And they had uh, stones put in the breastplate. There was a, a hammered gold, which was then cut into thin threads, which were woven in with scarlet and blue into the tunic that you see him wearing there. He has a crown on the, gold, uh, on the forehead that says holiness to the Lord. And as well as all the other parts of it, which are beauty, all this was what God trained um, Aholiab and Bezalel to make. It's amazing. And, then, and the garments for his sons, the priests, who were the regular priests. They were white uh, linen tunics. And then finally, in verse 11, and the anointing oil and the sweet incense for the holy place. You notice we've gone from inside the tabernacle to outside. Uh, and that's God's way of, of thinking of the tabernacle. Man thinks outside inward, but we've gone in, outside, inside outward. And now we've come last of all to the things which were, ex, which were to be continually made. The incense which was offered uh, with prayer. Now this is an amazing thing. You read in Exodus chapter 30, the compound for making the incense. They couldn't just go down the shop and buy it. It was a special formula that he had to put together. And only the priests knew because they had to make the smoke go straight up. Otherwise it would just, <coughs> you know, gas them all out, uh, smoke them all out in the tabernacle. And God showed them the special way to make it. And uh, the oil was a special oil for anointing the priest and anointing the different parts of the tabernacle. That also was a special recipe that nobody was to make for himself, but only for the service of God. And those recipes and how to make it would be passed on to the priests, who would pass it on to the next generation of priests, who would pass it on to the next generation of priests, so that they always knew how to do that work. And all the way through the Old Testament, the work of Bezalel went on. Think of this as a lesson. What you teach somebody, they will teach somebody, and they will teach somebody if they're faithful, and your work can go on till Jesus comes. And that thought. But that's what Bezalel was tasked particularly to do. And the question for you and me is not just, am I just doing good things, but am I doing the right things? Am I doing the things God has gifted me and called me particularly to do? You know, dogs can walk on their hind legs, but because they can, it doesn't mean they should. Do you see the difference? And some people say, oh, well, he can do that or she can do that, but that doesn't mean they should. Is it what they're called by God to do? A lady came up to Gypsy Smith and uh, she said, God has called me to be a preacher. And he said, praise the Lord. He said, let me ask you a question. Do you have a family? 
And she said, yes, I have eight children. He said, hallelujah, he's given you a congregation as well. You see, what she had in mind was, I don't leave my children and go off around the world preaching the gospel. God said, no, that's your congregation. That's what he's called you to do. That's your particular task. And you're called to serve him in that way. So let's be those who seek God for the things in particular he wants us to do as his workmen. Dear friends, if I can find it in my notes, I'd just like to read to you uh, in, in closing the words of a little prayer of a hymn that some of you may know already. There's a work for Jesus ready at your hand. Tis the task the master just for you has planned. Haste to do his bidding. Yield him service true. There's a work for Jesus none but you can do. Amen. Let's sing.